Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another Arsenio Buck show. As you can hear, I'm a little echoey because, of course, I am in the dungeon right now waiting on some of my students. And today is the last class before I go on my trip to Hong Kong. Baby, you guys better stay tuned for that. Anyways, today's not about Hong Kong. It's not about any of that. Today is about talking about the invincible mask. And so, um, you know what? I want to focus on one guy. Andy Kona, a British cage fighter. Of course, Lewis Hose wrote about this in The Invincible Mask. Um, what is it? In the Invincible Mask sector of his book. And you know what? Andy said something very, very interesting. And of course, it related to my life. And then I'm going to relate it to how men, of course, can try to get over this hump. So Andy, he said the first fight, of course, British cage fighter, the first fight he ever had was like a release from all the things he experienced in childhood. Like he said, I'm allowed to hit this lad, and it's making me feel better. See, I don't have a family. Me and my brother were put into foster homes. He was everything. He was my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. He was everyone, and then he killed himself. I've never, ever told anyone that. I don't like to show people weakness and show people that I'm broken inside. But he says he knows he can. See, guys, a a little form of aggression comes from repressed memories and repressed emotions when you're young. You know, I didn't know when this was actually developing. But you know what? I could really, you know, pinpoint a specific moment in my time. And it was when I became involved with a girl. This is probably during the 2003 summer months. And you know what? This is when, of course, I was going through a lot of things because up leading that summer was okay. It was okay. Although I wish I could have been working. I wish I could have been doing this and that. But you know what? It was okay in a sense that, you know what? I didn't feel that that many emotions like I did that following summer. And this is, of course, after my track and field season. But I had that aggression. And you know what? I can pinpoint to this specific moment. And so... What I'm going to talk about right now is, of course, when I was a 15-year-old going into the sophomore year of my uh, high school. I remember I came home from the first day of school, and my mom was like, I lost my job. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know what? We live in America. It's okay. You know, my mom will be able to get on welfare, and she'll be able to get some finances until we get, you know, back on our feet. But she never did that. She had too much humility. She was too stubborn to go to the welfare office and say, listen, I don't have food for my kids. And so it got crazier and crazier. My oldest sister, who took, um, who was, she was born at 82, so of course, yeah, she was 21 years old. She was working at the Stratosphere, I believe, and she was doing some dance on the side while she was taking a couple of part-time classes at college, had her head right. <sighs> she was taking care of us. She was, you know, she was giving my mom money to buy food and this and that. And you know what? My mom lost so many jobs because of poor decisions on her behalf. Now, it could be because she got laid off because, you know, and she did. She did from a teaching agency. I'm, I'm sorry, not a teaching agency, a job sending out agency where she, whereas she sent men out to factories for work. She did get laid off. And I remember she got laid off right before my very eyes. But that was in 2009. That was six years later. She got laid off this time because of her emotions. And you know what? I remember I started dealing with a lot of things in terms of a girl. I remember this girl named Adriana who I had a big, big crush on. And I remember, (laughs) this is the best, I love this. I remember that I was speaking to her one afternoon during lunchtime, and this guy named Edison came right up behind her and started hugging her. And I stood there in awe. Like, I was so angry, and this is when it all began. 
because this is a girl I had feelings with and another man just came right from behind her and I just literally left. And I remember it was just replaying in my head over and over and over and over, going all the way to, you know, of course, after school. And I talked to my mom about it and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I remember that night I was just I, I sent her an email and I grilled her ass. Adriana, of course. And then next, you know, Maria came into the picture and Maria was someone I it was a bandmate that I had um, that I was in marching band with that she ended up liking me. We ended up doing a lot of things. And I did this behind Adriana's back and it all came back to haunt me because those two were friends. So leading up into November, I remember in October, me and my brother, we got in a big fight at band practice, at marching band practice. He got home before I he went to my mom and said all the things that, of course, he was talking about from his standpoint, and my mom didn't want to hear my standpoint. That was the first night I ever ran away from home. That was in October. That was the year that I think the New York Yankees went to the World Series and lost to the Florida Marlins because at 9 to 9.30 p.m. at night, I could hear my mom screaming because, of course, she is a native of Bronx, of the Bronx out there in New York. <sighs> Leading up to November, I remember these emotions became even more apparent. You know, I remember the power got cut off at one specific moment. I remember going into December. My mom, she had nothing. No, not even to December. When it came into Thanksgiving, which is the last Thursday of, of course, November, we didn't have a dinner. It was, a, it was actually a childhood friend's parent who actually gave us a full Thanksgiving dinner. My mom cried right there at the doorstep. She came over, Kathy, Kathy Groom, and she's still alive and well. She came over and she gave my mom this full Thanksgiving dinner. And so it was so unbelievable because I could see the, the beginning of what other human beings do for other human beings, especially longtime friends. And you know what? My mom had a car that, of course, her grandpa gave her uh, probably a couple years before, but it was, it was inadequate. It wasn't working. So my mom sucked it up. She's like, you know what? In order to provide my sons and my daughters and everyone a wonderful Christmas, I'm going to have to sell this car. So she sold it to my uncle's girlfriend for $2,500 US dollars. Very, very cheap because she actually got it for free. But of course, she was still able to get it for $2,500 US dollars. So she provided us with the Christmas and we had food, we had this, we had that. And then, of course, leading up to January, yes, she was able to get a job. So she was out of work for about five months. But the thing is, in, de in December, that was the first month I actually experienced depression. Of course, this all revolved around so many emotions. Okay, my mom not having a job. Okay, this happening. Okay, me hearing this, this, this saxophone solo in uh, March band class one day and hearing how, you know, it was a jazz band, as a matter of fact. And this guy named Joseph, who was the drum major, he was playing it with like a baritone saxophone, a tenor sax, and an alto sax. And it was the saddest fucking song ever. And it reminded me of Adriana and Maria. And all these emotions came together. And I remember in December... I was so sad. I didn't know what to do. I, uh, of course, Adriana had left me. She was angry because she had found out that I was making out with, of course, Maria. And of course, oh my God, good times, good times. But you know what? I could pinpoint everything. I could connect the dots. And next, you know, I tried reverting that to, you know, video games. And I started getting real angry at video games and, you know, slamming controllers. And my mom was yelling at me from like downstairs saying, what the fuck are you doing? Stop slamming the fucking, stop playing the game. It was, it was ruthless. It was a ruthless couple of, um, I guess you could say a couple of months. Because then February came around. I remember my reaction 
to a stupid-ass basketball game, a college basketball game between University of North Carolina and Duke University. I remember my reaction. Of course, North Carolina had lost to Duke in the very, very wanting seconds of the game. And I went stomping upstairs. And I remember that moment my mom turned to her friend at the time, who I consider a father figure, Alfred Bernard III, Travis. And she said, I think something's wrong with my son. And for that moment, I knew that there was something emotionally wrong with me. And so what did I end up doing? Well, you know what? There was a guy by the name of Manny who was in my earth science class, and he said, Arsenio, do you still want to try out for track and field? I said, absolutely. He said, okay, let's go meet Coach Meyer. I said, let's do it. Met Coach Meyer. He's like, okay, I'll see you at practice Saturday. And I remember I started running. And, of course, I always love running as I still run today and as I'm going to run in on the streets of Hong Kong through the escalators in the coming days. And I remember, you know, I was able to get all and take all that aggression out towards something constructive, not towards beating another man like, of course, this guy Kona, but towards something using my aggression in a constructive manner. And of course, yeah, there was still, you know, some feelings with Maria and all these other things that, you know, culminated and whatnot. But I was still I was focused and I was able to put my aggression towards something. You know what? One of my greatest failures, one of my most beautiful failures was actually my first um, track and field meet, Bullhead City, Arizona. And I remember I thought I was going to win this 100 meter race, one of my 100 meter, 110 meter high hurdle race. I remember I started out and my stepping was all jacked up. I saw my my kindergartner friend, Terrence McGill. He just ran right past me with another guy from another high school in Arizona. And everyone passed me. I was last place. I fell down. I screamed and I cried. And it's funny because there was a girl by the name of Donnie. She looked at me. She's like, why are you crying? And I was like, I lost. She's like, just go get it at the 300 meter. And when I actually got it at the 300 meter, I had a taste of victory for the first time in my life. Because I won the race and I was I was literally flying around the corners and I did so well. And that was when I tasted victory and so much defeat throughout my life. Seeing my father, of course, and my mother swing knives at each other when I was a child, 1997, 1998, seeing the breakups, dealing with all those emotions and everything culminating as it did within the five to six year period. I tasted victory. See, a lot of you guys, you're not able to do this. This is why, of course, so many men, um, they join the NFL teams in the NFL ranks, and they do this, and they do that because they said, hey, it's only one way out. Either I do basketball, or I go to jail, or I end up doing drugs and end up dead. See, there are certain moments in a child's life that a father should never miss, and I do believe that my father missed so many precious moments, and I needed my father in so many moments at that, you know, within those couple of years or within those five years or even within from 1999 leading up to about 2004, I needed a father. And that's why I'm so grateful for the fact that my mother's friend, Owl, of course, I consider him a father figure. He came along and he took those ranks. And you know what? I'm so grateful for that because you know what? If it wasn't for him. Ooh, I don't know where I would be because he had that aggression. He had not the, the, that constructive father figure type aggression. And he was the one that showed me what was right from wrong. And he showed me what success was. And man, I haven't talked to him in about five years, but I do need to call him someday. But you guys understand this. Ray Lewis, he just got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he was up there preaching on the stage yesterday talking about, Mom, remember when they said we weren't going to make it? 
They said there was no way we were going to come out of that neighborhood. We had our lights cut off every Friday because you weren't able to pay the bills. And having him do and hear that speech, it just seems like an African-American child. The odds are stacked against us, especially out there in America. And this is why we end up embellowing and having all this aggression and we're not able to utilize it and put it in certain, you know, particular outlets that will better ourselves. It doesn't work like that. But I'm lucky because within that 2002 year period to 2003, 2004, by the time 2005 came, I was completely okay. I was completely okay. But there was a two year stint that. I dealt with so many emotions, and luckily I was able to find track and field as an outlet. The thing is, a lot of men, especially probably not just African Americans, of course, all of you around the world um, that you know deal with this type, have dealt with this type of aggression. You guys aren't able to find that type of outlet. There was a little quote in the book. It said, "If you think about it, men who come of age without being nurtured, without learning how to nurture themselves." have a hole they carry around. Some people fill this hole with drugs or alcohol. Others fill it with violence, but it gets filled one way or another. So, I mean, just hearing that alone and having read that, you know, in the past, it stuck with me for so long. So, I mean, how can I say this? Well, how did I end up getting rid of this aggression? Well, it had to be, of course, through track and field, 2005. I had my head on me. I was still focused. 2006, graduated high school, went on to other ranks, and met people from all over the world, from Zambia, from Chad, when I went to, of course, college in Arizona. Met some of the most wonderful people in my life. From Australia. In Australia, that was in hindsight, because, of course, 2005, met Australians. 2006, met a girl on the, uh, what is it, the Central Arizona basketball team from Australia. I still remember her name. Her name was Ollie. I should look up her, uh, her Facebook page, by the way. But... Meeting all these people and, of course, end up moving to Australia in 2011. I mean, it's I'm telling you, the most important years of a child's life has to be between 14 and 16 from a boy's standpoint. Because through that standpoint, going through puberty, going through emotions, dealing with women for the first time, seeing people backstab you and having people say, you know what, Arsenio, I got your back. We're going to get through this together. My boy Carlos Martinez was the one that actually took that. Back in 2004 when he ended up saying, hey, you know what? She's lying. She did this. She did that. And she's going to say this to you. And he predicted everything. And Carlos took me under the wings. He's like, hey, don't worry. I'm going to keep you busy. We're going to be all right. How can you utilize this, men? You know what? Create a record room in your house if you can. This is what Lewis Ho says. He says, beat the hell out of whatever you can. A punch bag. Okay, not a person. A punch bag. Do, do cathartic shouting exercises like what uh, Elliot Holtz did in one of his videos. Uh, He's a YouTube fitness guy. And there was one time where he was laying on the bed on a mattress and then he just started pounding away and he was letting go of all that emotion. And then there was just a sense of inner peace. A lot of people looked at that video and said, what the fuck? This guy's out of his mind. But you know what? This is what Lewis Holtz talked about in his book that he just recently released. Create an affirmation. I'm peaceful. I'm joyful. I'm a loving man. Because, you know, when, we, when you start to do this, that emotional control is going to come. I had emotional stability after I went through track and field. You know, being responsive versus reactive. 
that self-awareness, realizing, oh my God, you know what, something is wrong with me. Now I have such an incredible amount of self-awareness to whereas if I feel really, really sad or this is happening or that's happening, I can hurry up and pinpoint what's happening in my life and fix it. People don't have that self-awareness. They end up going through life for years with that, and then that ultimately leads to depression. Got to ask for forgiveness within yourself. Within yourself. You, need, you don't need to ask anyone. You don't need to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. No, just ask. You know what? I forgive the people who I've worked with in the past three and a half years for all the backstabbing and the betrayal and the, the, you know, the shit talking and this. I forgive them, but I don't need to tell them that I forgive them. I'm like, you know what? I forgive you for trying to blackmail me. I don't need to tell them. No, I find forgiveness within myself. I forgive my brother for being the person he has. And you know what? I'm grateful for the person he was. Because you know what? Look who I am now. It shows that true strength. You know what? For all the men out there, for all the women who are also suffering from this, I want you guys to make a list of people who have hurt you, who beat you, who ignored you, who abandoned you, yelled at you, degraded you, rejected you. Write out exactly who they were, what they did to you, and how it made you felt. Let it live on the page instead on a loop in your head. Then, of course, the hardest of them all, you need to just start that process. You know, you need to own what happened. Forgive the people who hurt you, and you need to move on. This is the only way you're going to be able to get over it. So, guys, with that being said, man, that is that was a relatively long podcast, and it was a really good one. So, guys, please take this with you today. Please do. Because you know what? This aggression mask, a lot of men have it. And I could see it in a lot of individuals. If you actually, if you actually, um, what is it? Oh my God, I was actually working yesterday. And of course, everyone's attention was pointed towards the TV that was hanging in the, up, uh, in the corner of the room. And of course, who was it? It was a, another man, of course, a Thai man beating the Thai women. Why do you think he has that aggression? Do you think it's because of culture, this, that? You, no, 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 you need to own up to it. I could go way deep inside that particular individual soul and I could find out that I bet you his father beat him. <clears throat> Want to bet? It was the truth. He was emotionally suppressed as a child. He had all those repressed emotions. And the only way he could take it out, because he saw his father beating his mother, he ended up beating the woman he was with. This is how it works. It's a loop. And it's a vicious cycle. And it could end up killing you or getting you thrown in jail or you could end up killing someone else. So here you go. Now it's time for change. And with that being said, guys, The Invincible Mask, this is already a very, very uh, long podcast. The Invincible Mask is going to be on my blog, so please tune into that. (sighs) And with that being said, guys, thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. Um, Tomorrow is going to be a ramble of positivity. And then, you know what, I'm going to try to stick out this book. Uh, I only have probably one more podcast to do in terms of this book, and this season is going to be closed out. Guys, Hong Kong's coming. So, you know what? It's time to get down with the get down. This is your host, Arsenio, as usual, over and